Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and the top instructors in the game share their insights and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by TaylorMade Golf, the PGA Tour Superstore, Golf Pride, Zexio, Sun Mountain Golf Bags, Finn Scooters, making the game more fun, Bionic Gloves, and the McLemore Club. Experience life above the clouds. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Well, what a tremendous WGC match play event we just witnessed last week. And congratulations to Billy Horschel on a hard-fought win. He and Scotty Scheffler both played 122 holes by the time it was all said and done. Horschel played 69 on Saturday and Sunday. Scheffler played 66. I would say that I hope they can swing a club by the time they get to Augusta next week. But Scotty Scheffler right back at it this week at the Texas Valero Open. And as a former Texas Longhorn, I'm guessing... There was no way he wasn't going to play in this tournament. Hope he has something left in the tank for next week's Masters because I'm sure he's looking forward to building off of his tied for 19th finish from last year. But congratulations to him and Billy Horschel. And Billy Horschel kept battling and got it done. Kudos to him. Good evening, folks, and thank you for tuning in to Next on the Tee. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and tonight's lineup is truly outstanding. I've got our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry, back with me. TP and I are going to reflect tonight on that match play event. We'll look ahead to the Masters. Plus, we'll get some short game tips to help us with those sort of half shots, right? 80 yards and in as you kind of get closer and closer to those little half shots and distance control. We'll figure out how to do that when Tom joins me in just a few minutes. Following him, I'm going to get a return visit from PGA Tour legend John Cook. I'll get John's thoughts on the WGC event as well. Plus, we'll hear about the work he's doing with Patrick Cantlay. We'll also talk about how he dealt with major championship pressure and his experiences playing in the Masters. Really excited to have John back on the show. He'll join me about 25 minutes from now. And then we'll round out tonight's show with a return visit from 2014 Georgia PGA Teacher of the Year, Kevin Roman. I'm going to talk to Kevin about why he's gone old school, starting to play his old tailor-made irons from the mid-1980s. We'll also talk about swing speed, the principles of plain truth golf, and why says basketball players should make their free throws? If you saw Kevin's Twitter feed, he tweeted out, they're like making one-foot putts. And then he said he went out and then he made 21 out of 25. So that means he's only making 84%, so 84% of his one-footer. So if you ever play against Kevin, make him put everything out. Kevin's going to join me about 50 minutes from now. So there you have it, folks. More great stories, tips, and information are coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the Tee. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. But before we get started, I want to remind you about our friends over at the McLemore, which is a wonderful community resort and golf course, just 35 minutes outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee, up on Lookout Mountain. Go online to themclemore.com and check out what a wonderful golf course and other amenities they have up there now. Their state-of-the-art clubhouse and bar opened up last fall. You've got to see this place to believe how great it is, folks. The golf course is co-designed by our good friends Bill Bergen and Reese Jones, and our friend and PGA Tour caddy Kip Henley said, outside of Pebble Beach, 
It's the most beautiful 18th hole he's ever seen. And Golf Digest agreed, naming it the best finishing hole in America since 2000. See why they all say that by checking out the course and the resort online at themaclemore.com. And folks, this segment of the show is brought to you by TaylorMade and their TP5 and TP5X golf balls. High draw? Check. Low fade? Check. Bump and run? Out of the sand? Flop shot? Guess what? Check, check, and check. No matter what shot you need to pull off, there's one ball that's better than them all, and that's the new TP5 and TP5X from TaylorMade. With a newly designed dimple pattern that decreases drag and increases lift, it's the number one ball in golf no matter the shot. So whether you need to hit it over the trees, under, or even through them, hit TP5 or TP5X, the one ball designed to handle it all. Check them out online at TaylorMadeGolf.com for more information. All right, now back with me is our resident director of instruction, Tom Patrick. Folks, you've only got a little over a month left to go visit Tom at his winter home at Crown Colony Golf and Country Club in Fort Myers. If you're really lucky, you can get an invite to his house where he's built a great indoor facility with all of the latest toys, gadgets, and technology there to analyze your swing. If you're nowhere near the west coast of Florida, but you still want to get lessons from a legend like Tom, download the V1 video app and send Tom videos of your golf swing, and he can help dial you in through the app. Check out his website, TomPatry.com, and subscribe to his newsletter. He has a wonderful show of his own on Instagram Live with a tremendous guest list every week. You can watch that on Sunday nights. But no matter what you do with Tom, whether it's lessons, have him on your show, you're going to have to send him a bunch of text message reminders because he's getting old, folks, and he can't remember stuff. Even though you text him and email him dates several times, still a problem. But we worked it out, and he's back again with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. What's up, TP? How are you, my friend? Who's calling, please? Who's calling? <laughs> Tom, Tom, you know it's true. You know it's true. The whole world's on Sunday night. The whole world knows it's true. Billy, Sam, who's this? Oh, Chris, it's Chris. Hi, Chris. Hi, Chris. Hi, Tom. How are you, my friend? Oh, I'm I'm just I'm just old man. Just you know, I'm just old. I know, God knows. I'm old. I'm old. <laughs> Speaking of old, congratulations, my friend. I see you made it into the Florida uh, State Senior Open. Con- big congrats yeah. to you. Thanks, Ty. I, I uh tell you the truth, Chris, it was a grind. They they, they set I'm not gonna criticize the Florida State Golf Association, but they set up the golf course at sixty eight hundred yards. The senior qualifier, and as you know, that's not my that's not my strength. But uh, short game, short game, short game, and I uh, I've heard that somewhere. In, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it uh, it paid dividends. Yeah, no doubt. Big congr- big ups and big congrats to you. Talk about so you've got the tournament. What is the uh, we was we were talking uh, on air or off air before the show end of uh, end of April and uh, right there in yeah. your own backyard, right? Yeah, one of the reasons I wanted to play this is I, I usually I'm usually gone by this time or after the summer oh the time of that tournament. So I'm gonna be down here at that time and um you know, being a state a state open, it could be you know, senior state open, it could be anywhere in the state, but this year it's down in southwest Florida, uh right around the corner of a place called Miramar Lake. So um I saw the entry and I said I got I gotta try to hop in there and, and luckily I got it done and uh, it's gonna be at the end of April, twenty sixth, twenty seventh, twenty eighth, uh and uh, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be fun. Well, three days of competition. Rooting for you hard, my friend. Good luck. Um, one of our mutual friends, Damon Hack, who uh, happened to join me on the show last week, uh, was down there with you 
just a couple of days ago, right? You guys did an event together? Actually, he just left the house this morning. We, he stayed over the house last night, the night before. We did a fireside chat for my membership at Crown Colony. Damon was kind enough to fly in. Uh, I played the senior local qualifier yesterday morning. He flew in yesterday morning, went directly to the club. I got done with the qualifier and uh, rode back to the club just a couple miles away. And uh, we went out and played nine holes together and uh, with our GM, Dave Kent, and our superintendent, Paul Bacon, and had a really nice time on the golf course, came in, cleaned up, and we did a, a fireside chat last night for about 50 of our members who attended. And, uh, you, know, you know how Damon is. He was, it was awesome. He just he knocked, it, he knocked it out of the park, and everybody had a blast. We told some stories and, and lied a little bit, and it was, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. He's a tremendous guy. Very, very thankful that you introduced me to him, and he was a great guest last week. Tom, we're going to talk um, short game in a minute, but uh, I want to get your thoughts on a couple of things first. Starting with okay. what we saw last weekend at the WGC match play event, starting really with uh, sort of the dust-up a little bit between Kevin Na and Dustin Johnson. And for those of you that um, may not have heard the details, they were playing against each other in a match that really didn't matter because neither of them was going to advance out of group play. But on the 11th hole, DJ misses an eight-footer for birdie, and his putt slid by about 13 inches, according to shot link. And he walked over and sort of raked his ball away from the hole, but Kevin Na hadn't actually called it good yet. Now, you know, Na goes over to DJ and lets him know, you know, say, hey, you know, you got to wait till I say something. DJ thought it was, certainly was close enough that he was going to give it to him, but uh, never actually heard the words, uh, you know, it's, it's good or whatever. Not, not ultimately, Tom, didn't call a penalty, and they have the hole, but, you know, that too was against the rules. According to one of the PGA Tour officials, they both should have been disqualified because Nod doesn't get to decide to enforce a rule or not. I wanted to get your thoughts on what we saw and what we heard about that. Well, I, I, I have to start with Kevin Nye on this one, Chrissy. I mean, it, you, know, it's, you know, whether it's a courtesy or, or an expectance or whatever, but if somebody doesn't say it's not good, it, it's not good. And, and I think that was pretty brazen of DJ to just rake it away. I mean, I, I, we all know he's going to make the putt, but it's still, you know, a professional courtesy that you don't put, put your hand on the golf ball until, until your opponent says it's good. So, um and you're right, they both are ultimately wrong because Kevin doesn't get to decide that. So it's kind of a screw-up on both parts, but uh, I feel it was pretty brave with DJ just to rake it away. And I also want to get your thoughts, TP, just on that tournament as a whole. I mean, I like it in concept. Match play is exciting because, you know, players can go all out because if something crazy happens, right, instead of walking away with triple or double as they might in a, in a regular tour event, you know, if they hit one sideways or whatever, um, in this case, in match play, you only lose one hole. But the downside is that if you make it to, like, the final two, God forbid, those guys played a ton of golf. Billy Horschel and Scotty Scheffler, 122 holes from Wednesday to Sunday. Scheffler played 66 from Saturday to Sunday, and Horschel played 69 holes. So there's a, yeah. you know, got to be a huge amount of fatigue in the final match on Sunday, which is why we didn't see many birdies from either of them in the final match. And plus we got a, a 32 versus a 30 seed facing off, which is, you know, both the beauty of match play and, and why some folks weren't all that excited about watching the final round. But your thoughts on, on the WGC and, and the match that we, uh, we saw over the weekend. I, I just, I just think it's just too much to ask because of, of these guys in the middle of the season, it's a very long season to start out with. Now with the, with the whole season, you know, wraparound season, really they don't have any downtime. 
between seasons, it doesn't seem like, to ask them to play that format for that length of time and what it takes to win that event, you know, like you said, that many holes, I just think that's asking an awful lot. I'm not sure that I wouldn't give that second thought, uh, even though it's a WGC, as a player, especially as a name player who knows that the, the majors are so important to you and, and there's so many big events now on the calendar, um, it seems like between between majors and invitationals and WGCs, you got you got to rest at some point. And and this with you know coming a couple weeks before the Masters leading up, it's, I think it's just asking the player an awful lot to play that many holes. Yeah, and I I agree with you 100. percent I, I feel bad for Scotty Scheffler. I'm sure you know being a kid that went to the University of Texas, now he's off to the Texas Valero Open, and I'm sure that's an important event you know, for he and his family and all that sort of stuff. I just, Tom, I can't imagine he's going to have anything left in the tank come the following week at the Masters. To your, what you alluded to a moment ago, I, maybe this, if you're going to keep this event, maybe you got to move it earlier in the year or something so these guys don't have to back right up into a major like the Masters after giving it, you know, all of this. I mean, if you, if you, if you thought that, you know, a healthy Tiger Woods, you know, at 43 years old, if, that, if he had gone, if he was healthy and gone through and played this and it was an exciting thing and Tiger wins and he plays 122 holes with that back, to think he's going to have just a week before he's got to go to the Masters? That just doesn't yeah, make I, sense to I, me. I, I got a question. I, I mean, whether you're a Texas Longhorn or not, Chris, I got a question, Scotty, playing it at Valero. I mean, I just think that, you know, after you get to the finals and you played that many holes and, and the week was extended the way it was, great, great playing, Scotty. Well done. I would have really rethought that that trip to San Antonio and, and maybe and kind of bowed out. I, I know he's a Texan. I know I know that the, you know being a Longhorn is important, but he supported his state very well at the match play. And I, I probably would have passed on Valero and you know, had a couple of days of downtime and maybe gone to Augusta a little bit early and, and, and rested up. And Tom, let's talk about Augusta and um, guys that are playing really well heading into the event. Obviously, Billy Horschel with the win. But, you know, we've seen Lee Westwood and Bryson DeChambeau playing really well. They played in the final group at Bay Hill and at the Players. Justin Thomas obviously having won the Players. Jordan Spieth seems to have found himself in his game as he's played well, you know, this year and certainly played well in the Masters every single year outside of, you know, uh, last year not so great and then obviously the collapse a few years ago. But still a guy that uh, looks like he has found himself heading into Augusta. Who do you like going into that? Is it one of these guys, somebody else? Who's, who are your favorites to come out of it and being on the top of the leaderboard on Sunday? You know, I, I, Chris, I, you know, I think that's a, a great question. I don't know if there's an answer. There's so much parity in the PGA Tour now. There's so many talented young guys. You know, you, we haven't talked about, you know, Harris English. And, I mean, there's so many guys we can talk about that are, that are good young players that, that you haven't mentioned. Um, uh, you know, you, you know, you've been there enough times. You and I have both been on those grounds enough times. That that those putting surfaces are, are the key to the week, and whoever gets the putter warm and and and, and you know, puts those greens well over 72 holes, it, it's 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 a big deal. I mean, all these guys hit it so wonderfully to key the green. Um, I I just think you know the putter. You know, you can you can say you can make an argument for Lee Westwood because he found his putter. You can make an you know argument for Bryson because he has found a way to put the golf ball at a very high level. Um, you know, certainly Justin Thomas, you know, the way he played that last two rounds at TPC, 
he, he seems obviously to be on. Um, I love Billy Horschel. I'm a Billy, big Billy Horschel fan. Uh, go Gators. Um, you know, certain, you know, even guys like Sergio seem to be playing a little bit better in Texas. Tommy Fleetwood played well. Um, you know, so I mean, you can you can go on and on, but uh, I I couldn't answer the question with a favor. I really couldn't. So let's take it uh, from a different angle. Let's talk about Sunday at Augusta. We all uh, we all know that, right? The Masters is one on the back nine on Sunday. Guys struggling on the back nine on Sunday. Lee Westwood, Rory, Jordan Spieth seems to you know get up towards the uh, at the top of the leaderboards right now. You know Thursday, Friday, come Sunday, not so much. Um, what do you think it takes? And I know you you've, you've known Freddie Couples for years. And uh, obviously, having watched the tournament forever, what do you think it takes on Sunday for these guys to be able to put, you know, sort of the, the dark cloud, whatever's hung over them, how do they put that in the rear view and go out and execute when you get on the 10th tee on Sunday afternoon? You know, Chris, I, I, I get nervous watching. I, you know, I, I played competitive golf for about eight years earlier in my life, you know, for a living, and, and I – we all dreamed that we'd be good enough to play in the PGA Tour. I never made it that far. You know, I played a little bit in Europe and, and South Africa. And, uh, you know, I, I remember playing in the South African Masters and playing well on the weekend and, you know, having trouble breathing. I can't imagine playing at Augusta on Sunday and stepping in the 10th tee, you know, with a chance to win. I don't think the public realizes, and you've been there, like we've both seen those greens, they are treacherous once the weekend comes. Uh, the pin placements are incredibly difficult, and, and the amount of resolve it takes to, to steady your nerves and, and, and stop your hands from trembling and and just just getting, you know, in, into that moment and staying in that moment, not getting ahead of yourself. You know, there's so many quality shots that have to be hit on that back nine or on amen corner and, and beyond. Um, you just can't miss a golf shot in the wrong place in that golf course. It can just, just bite you at any moment. So I don't think the general public will realize when the pressure's on and, you know, your throat gets a little dry and your hands get a little moist, how hard that back nine on Sunday. That term is so meaningful to us. It's such a special piece of history. Uh, you know, my hat's off to anybody that gets it done on Sunday at Augusta. So, Tom, based on the comments prior to last year's Masters, and last year's Masters wasn't all that long ago. We can only go back to November. But we, uh, we certainly talked at the time about Bryson boasting that Augusta should be a par 67 for me. I haven't heard anything. <laughs> I haven't heard anything from Bryson so far. I imagine someone might bring it up in a press conference. But, um, yeah, do you expect that Bryson might have learned a little something from that and maybe we get a, uh, a little more humble Bryson DeChambeau prior to the start? I want to make all listeners aware that, that, that Bryson played with Bernard Langer in the last round, who, uh, who could be his grandfather, and, 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 and Mr. Langer tooled him on Sunday and tooled him for the entire tournament as Bryson hit it you know, 80 yards past him off of every tee. Um, I hope Bryson's learned that lesson that maybe he needs to keep his yap shut and just play golf. Um, you know, Augusta has a funny way of bringing people back <laughs> uh, to within themselves. And, and, and that's not a golf course you can just try to go beat up because it will beat you back. 
Um, maybe he's learned something. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, listen, he's you know, he's he's talented. He's incredibly talented. He's got he's got a lot of game. He, he's, he hits a lot of different shots. I'm, I'm not crazy about his short game pitching the golf ball and, and chipping the golf ball, but he's found a way to putt the golf ball pretty well. Although that certainly would be tested on those greens. And I think when you try to overpower that golf course, you try to go after it a little bit too much. We we, we saw what happened to him last year. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. We'll see if he's learned his lesson or not. Tom, let's switch gears a little bit. And for the folks to tune in to your show on Sunday night on Instagram Live, they heard us chatting for a few minutes about the thing that I need help with, and that's. You know, something that you've been drilling into all of our heads for years, short game, short game, short game. You mentioned it a few minutes ago. So, Tom, from 80 yards in, for most of us, that isn't a full swing unless maybe you're going to really go after a 59 or a 60-degree wedge. Um, But if we've just got everything is just neutral, right? We're on a flat lie in the middle of the fairway to a green that's not all that elevated. How do we start to dial in our distance control for how to hit that shot Instead of sometimes, like well, what I do sometimes is I, you know, I'll chunk it sometimes and I end up short. I hit it, you know, a little too hard and now I'm over the green or I thin it and I'm way over the green. How do we get that better and get closer to the hole? Well, before I answer that question, I gave a playing lesson last week to a friend who's a, a long-time student who's a good friend who um, is a fair player. And in nine holes, I had something happen to me that's never happened to me before. I hit three pins in nine holes with short irons. So, wow. Yeah, it was pretty unbelievable. I got in the car after it was my last lesson of the day, and I, and I got in the car and sat there for a second in the park lot of Crown Colony. It's like, what just happened out there? That was bizarre. Um, I've always prided myself on, on my wedge game and, and working hard on my wedge game, and the thing I've worked on the hardest is, is in fact, what we're talking about distance control. And the way, the way I work on it is taking into consideration, obviously, the golf shot itself, the quality of my lie. And what, that, what I'm trying to do with the golf shot, am I trying to fight the golf shot? Am I trying to hit the golf shot up in the air? Uh, I don't do what you just said. I, I would never pick out a club and I had a maxed out for a distance. Like, I don't hit I don't hit any full shots from inside 100 yards. I, I, I never make – I never maxed out a club. Uh, I, I, I kind of think about hitting wedge shots like throwing darts. You know, you don't throw darts by rearing back over your shoulder and letting it rip. You know, it's a very precise, short, compact motion – with not a lot of movement. Um, so I grip down on the club quite a bit. You know, I shorten, I shorten the lever. You know, I, I obviously abbreviate my golf swing both back and through, usually make it very symmetrical. And I try to take my hands out of the shot as much as possible. I hit unhit those shots with what I call dead hands because um, I want to minimize the, uh, the uh, movement of the face itself. I, I, wanted, I don't want to create a lot of side spin at all. Um, so... You know, those are very, very um, controlled, compact motions where I'll tend to hit uh, more of a flighted shot. I don't like to throw the ball up in the air. I'm playing and growing up on the east end of Long Island, that's where Shinnecock Hills, and playing my college golf in Florida, I was always very, very cognizant of the wind conditions, and I didn't like to hit the ball up in the air a lot, so I learned how to hit it down and spin it. And, and spin is just a, a byproduct of quality of contact. Again, when you when you make your swing more compact and, and and take a lot of excess movement out of the swing, the ability to contact the ball and the volatility of missing it goes down. Um, and and you know, like you said earlier, spelling it or chunking it, you know, quality of contact comes first in short game shots. You've got to be able to hit solid shots to obviously calibrate over time distance control. 
The next thing I always do, Chris, too, is when I practice on a range or in a short game area, I'm always shooting with my range finder, the target I'm practicing to. I want to know exactly how far I'm hitting a shot to a target and what it feels like uh, so I can put that feel through repetitions in my computer. Uh, it's called your brain, and we can kind of take, a, take an accounting of that feel. Um, I hit more wedge shots still today, Chris, every week than I hit any other club in my bag, maybe with the exception of my putter. Um, I still, you know, I hit wedge shots almost every day I'm at the club at some point during my day. Uh, it's the club I hit more than all my wedges, more the clubs I hit more than any other club in my bag. So redundancy is the mother of learning. So that's kind of my outlook on wedge play. So to that point, Tom, if I am, again, you know, in, in that 80-yard range, and, and let's say, you know, my 100-yard club is my, you know, my 56-degree, um, from what I think I hear you say is take a little more club, swing a little less, and then try to gauge, you know, the distance. Like, you know, if I'm going to take it back from, you know, maybe I'm taking it from, you know, 2 o'clock to 11 o'clock or, you know, something along that line uh, with a little more club, but that way I can take a little less swing that takes a little more variation out of my swing and then try to gauge how far can I hit that and then take that to the golf course. Did I get that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah pretty much, Chris. I, like, I'll give you an example. My, my, I had a full pitching wedge about 125 yards. On the golf course, it's a 115-yard club. I have a 48-degree wedge. I can hit 117 yards on the golf course. It's a 105-yard club. A 52-degree wedge, that's about a about a 100-yard club. That's about an 85 or 90-yard club on the golf course. And I have a 58-degree wedge, which is a 75-yard full club. But on the golf course, I never hit outside, ever outside 60 yards. So everything is dialed back. Nothing is ever stressed. Nothing is ever, you know, you know, under the gun for, for control purposes. Um, everything is just dialed down just a little bit, you know, call it 10 or 12%, if you will. Talk to me about some of the other basics. Talk to me about setup, ball position, weight distribution. How, how should I be setting up over that golf ball to hit those shots? Well, again, I, I, again I'm a little different in the sense that I like to fight these shots down. So in my case, you know, I, I kind of preset some weight on my left side, maybe 55, 45, not dramatically, and I basically leave it there during the motion. I don't, I don't have a lot of weight transfer or weight movement or pressure transfer. I kind of stand on my left leg just a little bit, 55, 45, and I stay there to hit the shot. Um, the ball is centered. It's not dramatically back. It's centered. Uh, and, I, and I kind of hold my finish down. You know, the great Hardy Pennix said, high finish, high ball, low finish, low ball. So I like to flat that ball down, so I'll kind of hold off my finish a little bit and abbreviate the follow-through to hit, to hit the more slighted shot. Tom, before I let you go, we've mentioned your show on Instagram Live a couple of times. Let our listeners know, how can they tune in, what time, and then uh, maybe if you've got uh, a guest schedule, who you have coming up here in the next couple of weeks. Chris, I, I think I, I, maybe I didn't mention this to you, but I, I've taken that off a of regular rotation now. Uh, because I, I, I'm so um, consumed with next on the tee and, and the quality of the appearance here. Um, and, and truthfully, i got so much on my plate right now, uh, getting ready for a new job in, in uh, Virginia this summer uh, at Farmington. Um, so what I'm doing now is I'm doing it on a case-by-case. Case. I did one this week with just a bunch of calling friends, uh, different people checked in. I had, I, had a, I had a good friend who's a head professional 
I had a club in Jamaica check-in. I had a friend from London, Eagles, London England check-in. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of advertising on a case-by-case basis on my Instagram page. You just have to look after it there. Um, i got a bunch of guys that want to do it, but I, it's really more me right now trying to do it than anything else. And this commitment with this guy getting scared on next on the tee takes a lot of time and energy. <laughs> no doubt it does. Tom, before I let you go, remind our listeners as well how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether it's on your website or it's on social media. Yeah, Chris, the website is just simply TomCatry.com. And then the, 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 the place I'm spending the most time right now is on my Instagram page, uh, at Tom Patry. Uh, and then, you know, Facebook pages, you know, LinkedIn page. Uh, uh, and, and there's a Twitter account that I, I really don't touch much anymore. Most of my energy is on my Instagram page. Uh, but all my details on, on how to find me and how to get in touch with me are available at TomPatry.com. And then you can always check with my agent, Chris Mascara, who, who, you know, who can schedule me for an appearance <laughs> on your show. <laughs> Indeed. TP, you're the best, my friend. Thanks for taking time out of your incredibly busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show. I look forward to catching up with you again in a couple of weeks. I'm excited to listen to the rest of the show. I'm a big John Cook fan. And by the way, John Cook is a very good friend of Damon Hack, so you need to mention that. Um, Damon, thanks for working with John. I I played a little junior golf with John, and he's just an absolute gentleman. So good good luck with that interview, pal. I appreciate you. John's fantastic. I'm looking forward to catching up with him again. He was great the last time. I'm sure he's going to be even better this time. Take care, TP. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. I love you, pal. Thank you. See you, Tom. That's the great Tom Patry. Again, TomPatry.com is the website, P-A-T-R-I. And check him out on uh, Instagram and on Facebook and uh, as well over on Twitter, folks. A lot of great stuff from TP, a lot of good instructional videos and, uh, a better guy you will not find. I love that, man. All right, I've got a, my next guest, John Cook, coming up. We're going to get to John right out on the other side of these words from our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. All right, now back with me here on Next on the T is Champions Tour Pro and Sirius XM radio host John Cook. Let me remind you about John's background. He's from Toledo, Ohio, but grew up in Southern California. He went back and played his college golf at Ohio State, where he was a three-time All-American. Helped them win three consecutive Big Ten titles from 1977 to 1979 and the 1979 National Championship. He won six individual titles while at Ohio State. He also won the Les Volstad Award for the low stroke average in the conference each year from 77 to 79, and he was inducted into the Ohio State Hall of Fame in 1986. John won the U.S. Amateur Championship in 1978 and finished second to Marco Mira in 79. John won several amateur championships, including the California State Am in 75 and the Ohio State Am in 78 and 79. Turned pro in 1979 and won his first PGA Tour event in 1981 at the Bing Crosby National Pro-Am, beating Hale Irwin, Bobby Clampett, Ben Crenshaw, and Barney Thompson in a playoff. Won again in 1983 at the Canadian Open, this time beating Johnny Miller in a playoff. In all, John has won 11 times on the PGA Tour, 10 times on the Champions Tour, and has seven top 10 finishes in majors. Was named a 1992 PGA Tour Comeback Player of the Year. In 2013, he was inducted into the Southern California Golf Association's Hall of Fame 
And like I say, now you can hear him on Sirius XM on Connected with John Cook. And I'm very excited to have him back again with me tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, John, thanks for coming back on the show. My pleasure, Chris. How are you doing? I'm fantastic, John. How are you? That's a stroll down memory lane right there. I don't even remember some of that. That was great. <laughs> Glad I could help. You did a lot, my Let's friend. You, uh, you certainly word. deserve I mean, to be in those Hall of Fames. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but the Les Bolstad Award and all that stuff, that's, that's good stuff. That's what has those trophies. <laughs> Indeed. John, I want to start our time tonight. I want to get your thoughts on the WGC Match Play Tournament from the weekend. We don't get a lot, a lot of match play events on the tour outside of the Ryder Cup and the President's Cup. What did you think about the event and what you saw? Yeah, overall, you know, it's a great event. It's match play. Um, they've, they've gone through different formats in the last you know, many years that they've had it now. And, um, you know, different venues, different, different formats. And I think the one that they have now is working. Obviously, they, you know, Billy Horschel and, and um, Scotty Scheffler, two wonderful players, two young Americans, which was exciting for us. Uh, they're in the final. Not, not the, the sexy final that you would want to have, but you know what? They earned their way. They won their matches. They did what they needed to do. And uh, they got to the final, and, you know, it's, it's, it's match play. And that's what you get. And uh, Billy uh, kind of wore out uh, Scotty Scheffler and a very worthy champion. He's won events before. He's a FedEx Cup champion. He's won a number of events. So, was no joke and uh, a very, very worthy champion. And John, when you get down to the finals, I mean, those two guys played a lot of golf, particularly yeah. on the weekend. I mean, Billy Horschel and Scotty Scheffler, you know, they played uh, over 120 holes for the tournament and nearly 70 holes when you look at Saturday and Sunday. Seems like it'd be tough to play great golf by the time you get to that last round. Is that is that too much to ask of those guys? And then to turn around in a couple of weeks to have to go to Augusta? I, I don't think so, Chris. It, it, that's that's the the uh, that's the format. That's that's the event. You know that going in. You know that if you're going to get to the final and try to win a golf tournament, that's what you're going to be faced with. We did that in the U.S. Amateurs. We did that uh, in any of those match play events. You know, the Western Amateurs. We played you know, 72 holes to play. Top 16 get in. Um, those were long events as well. So you just know going down to the end that if you're going to win this golf championship, you're going to play a lot of golf, and you. You have to be – you're not going to have your best all the time. It's just a matter then on, on uh, you know, kind of preserving where you are, being efficient at what you do, and uh, you know, playing match play. And that's, you're beating the guy no matter what. Five beats six, four beats five. That's when it comes down to the final and you're, you're kind of you – know, your mind isn't on the same page as your body is because your body is slowing down, but your mind is going at 1,000 miles an hour. Uh, that's – John, when you've played in match play tournaments, what's, what's been your strategy? Do you go out there and just try to shoot the best score possible or does it change, you know, that strategy? Does it change based on what you're watching your opponent do? Do you adjust based on that? I do adjust, Chris. I always went into every single match trying to beat the golf course, trying to beat par. And then you adjust going along. If you, you know, get to the back nine and you've got somebody buried, you know, you know, so be it. If you go to the back nine and you're three or four under par, 
and you're even or one down, so be it as well. Then you start to adjust. But I always thought that the first nine holes of match play, for me, was a match play against the golf course. I didn't want to give away holes, you know, making bogeys. Uh, you know, I, I didn't want to give the way to par threes, making bogeys. Uh, but that was my strategy. So, you know, if I needed to adjust, I adjusted. If I didn't, I just tried to keep beating the golf course because, you know what, he's going to have to make birdies down the stretch to beat me, and I'm not going to try to – I'm not going to beat myself. Um, that maybe that's why it was you know, tougher than that play a lot of times. I, I just didn't give in, and uh, I, I played the golf course first off, and then I adjusted as needed going down the stretch. John, I want to switch gears a little bit. And uh, I was reading that you've worked with Patrick Cantlay on his game. And he's a guy that I think, you know, is right on the cusp of winning a major championship. And you look back at his 2019 season, he finished tied for ninth at the Masters, tied for third at the PGA. He won the Zozo Championship back in October, finished second at the American Express Championship in January. Talk about working with Patrick and uh, how close he is to breaking through and getting a major. Well, you said it right there, uh, Chris. He's he's very he's very close. He knows his he knows his uh, position um, in the game. Uh, I've known him uh, since he was in his middle teens. Uh, he's been in Jamie Mulligan's program since he was a child. You know, seven, eight, nine years old. Uh, I first met Patrick. Uh, he was probably fourteen or fifteen, uh, just in high school. He was that you know skinny little kid hanging around. You know, Pete Tomasulo, myself, John Merrick. John Mallinger, uh, Paul Goidos. And he was that little kid that was just, you know, kind of sponging and soaking in everything that we were we were talking about and working with Jamie uh, on. And uh, lo and behold, his senior high school, all of a sudden he was, you know, six foot one and one fifty, and then all of a sudden he was six foot one and one eighty, and now he was hitting it by us. So it was uh, it was very interesting <laughs> to see the transgression of. Uh, the transformation of Patrick Cantley, but he was, um, you know, always, he, he wanted knowledge and he was soaking in knowledge. He was always asking questions uh, and uh, wanting to learn more and more. And the transformation of, of Patrick Cantley from his senior year of high school to his sophomore year of college was incredible on um, not only the talent coming out, but his golf IQ coming out. And, you know, taking that into his first couple years as a pro, being very successful, you know, had a, you know, a, a story, an unfortunate setback with his health and uh, from his uh, uh, passing at, uh, un, un, you know, an opportune time for him. Basically cost him, you know, two and a half, almost three years. Otherwise, he'd be you know, even further along. But once he came back and once he, he knew that, this is what he wanted to do for the rest of his life, play golf and compete. He just went nose to the grindstone. He is very, very disciplined. Uh, he sticks to his schedule. He knows his body. He knows his body very, very well. And he also knows his place in this game. And it is amongst the best. It's amongst the Justin Thomas's. It's amongst the Dustin Johnson's, the Brooks Kepka's. Uh, it's amongst those guys. You've got to remember that when he was that guy before you know, Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas and, and, and those guys. He was he was that guy, and now he's you know gaining more confidence, gaining more um, respect amongst his peers, and there's really no telling um, you know where Patrick can go. He wants Ryder Cups, he wants major championships, 
That's his mentality. That's the way it's been since he was you know, a teenager. John, speaking of majors, and most of us are never going to know what it feels like to be in that sort of pressure cooker of a major going into the last round and, and uh, you know, kind of standing up on the first tee and then standing up on the back nine trying to win a major championship. You were in the thick of it in 1981 at the U.S. Open at Marion and twice in 92 at the Open Championship at, at Muirfield and the PGA Championship at Bell Reeve. And I guess in my mind, I'm thinking it's sort of like what we hear about the NFL playoffs. Once you get in the playoffs, things seem to speed up. Is that what it's like yep. in a major? Do things you know, tend to speed up? 100%, Chris. It's exactly right. Um, you know, the biggest just, you know, I, I have a lot to be thankful for in my career and have won a lot. And, you know, I've lost a lot. I can tell you how to win. I can tell you how to lose. Unfortunately, I didn't get across that finish line in a major championship, and I had my chances, a, a number of them. Um, the two in 92 definitely come to mind, uh, 94 U.S. Open, uh, you know, a few more TGAs down the line. But, um, I can tell you, you, you hit the nail right on the head again, that things do speed up, and that's where you have to be. You have to recognize that, and you have to slow yourself down. You can't get ahead of yourself. You can't start predicting you can't hold the trophy until you got it in your hands. I can promise you that. I was kissing trophies, you know, left and right for a couple of years and never got to kiss one in a major championship. So um, it, it definitely does. So when you recognize that, and that's what the great champions do, that's what the good Hall of Famers do, uh, is they recognize that. They slow things down. They get to their pace. And, um, you know, then they execute what, what they need to execute. And, uh, you, know, you know, looking back, you know, I got ahead of myself in the 92 Open at Mearfield. Um, I got going pretty fast, and, you know, it cost me kind of down the stretch. The PGA, Nick Price just kind of went out and won it. You know, sometimes there's not much you can do, and, you know, other than you know, make, make pars and hit quality golf shots, you just kind of come out more down the stretch than I did. I didn't feel like I gave that away. It felt like I gave the Open Championship away to Nick Fowler, no question about it. Um, but that's why he's a Hall of Famer and a six-time major champion. Is, you know, he, he knew how to close the deal in a major championship. I knew how to close deals, but not in a major. And that's uh, maybe cost me down the stretch a little bit. But um, that's exactly right. You have to slow yourself down, take some more deep breaths, um, you know, and, and uh, execute what uh, is right in front of you. John, I want to switch gears a little bit and uh, more kind of get a playing lesson or two from me, if you will. And one of the things I think many of us do, many of us amateurs do, is when we start to feel that pressure, we end up putting like a death grip on the club. Talk about the <laughs> yep. importance of grip pressure and the negative things that can happen if you let the, you know, the pressure manifest itself in your grip. You know, I've been very lucky in my career uh, early on with uh, my mentor, Ken Venturi. <laughs> Uh, we always talked about grip pressure and uh, also playing a lot with Tom Weisskopf always talked about his grip pressure and, you know, how you re-grip the club going back, you, you're going to grip it tighter anyway. So just start out to where, you know, your hands can move and your, your, your hands can do the little waggle. Uh, you, you don't want to stay stiff on them. You, don't, you want the club always moving. You want the body to kind of moving and rocking. You don't ever want to stay you know, stationary for too long. Uh, Kenny would always say, you know, keep your feet moving, keep your body moving, and then once you're over the ball, um, you know, a, a one count and then go. One count and go. 
Um, and, and that's you know, how we got started you know, with my, with my uh, backswing. And uh, not too much grip pressure um, to where you don't want the club to you know, be pulled out of your hand, but just enough to keep it in your hand. Uh, so that, that's the type of grip pressure that you're looking for. Because you will re-grip it um, as stronger as you take the club away. And that was uh, exactly what Tom Weisskopf was saying. John, another thing most of us amateurs do is we're, we're focused on score versus the process of hitting good shots. How, how do we not let score come first and free up our minds so that we can execute the shot that our eyes are looking at? Yeah, that's a great question, Chris. And, and another thing that Kenny always said was, you know, you never project ahead. You never, you, great, great scores aren't shot, you know, from the first tee. Great scores are adjusted, you know, throughout the round. So when you get on the first tee, you're just trying to hit quality golf shots, quality golf shots uh, the, to the best of your ability. You never project in your head on, oh gosh, I've got you know two reachable par four, par fives. I've got you know a couple easy par fours. Once you get into that trap, that's when your your round is basically gone. So you really, really have to you know, stay in the present. Never project ahead on what you have in front of you, and you know, just execute as best as you can on that particular moment. That's all you can do. And John, kind of reverting back to pressure, two players that I think that need to kind of free up their minds, especially on Sundays, is Rory McIlroy and Jordan Spieth. If we look ahead to the Masters, if those guys are in a position to win come Sunday late afternoon, what would you say to Rory? What does he need to do to minimize what's going on in his mind trying to complete the career grind slam? Or for Jordan, who's trying to make it his, you know, kind of way all the way back, and not make sure those goals from the, you know, the 12th hole come back in. How do, how do you do that? How do you free up those minds? You know, Sunday is such a different animal, Chris. That it, you know, it is the finale. Uh, you, you're, you're, you're playing your up to your 72nd hole, or maybe even beyond, and you just got to revert back to, you know, doing what you've been doing. Um, you know, playing golf like you're, you know, out there playing with your friends. Uh, you know, re- relax, really focus and commit each, each and every, every each and every swing, and um, that's basically all you can do. Obviously, with Rory and with Jordan, they have some mechanical flaws in their swings. There's no, there's no question about it, and I'm not saying anything nobody doesn't know already. Um, but you know, if they're in position to win on Sunday, maybe they've corrected a little bit of those flaws, and then just free wheel and trust it. That's all you can do. Uh, on, on Sunday, when it gets down to the last nine holes, you have to figure out a way to get it to the house. Uh, you do look at the leaderboard. You have to be comfortable there um, and, and see what's in front of you, and then you adjust on the fly, or you don't have to adjust if you you know you still have the lead or you're still right there. And so for them, it's a little bit mechanical, I, I think. And you know, when it gets you know, pressure on, um, you know, short putts get missed. Uh, you know, key shots get missed you know, a little bit wider. The dispersion rate gets a little bit further uh, along. Uh, the pressure starts to mount, and, and the more that you can hit quality golf shot after quality golf shot, takes your mind from the ease off of the next swing. So when, you know, whatever the swing is, they've been working on that week that seems to be working. They got to keep doing it and keep remembering that. Do you remember your first trip to Augusta National back in 79 and what that first drive up Magnolia Lane was like? <laughs> I do, I do. It was it was incredible and 
you know, I, I really prepared the week before. It was I was on spring break from Ohio State. Um, I was in uh, Palm Springs. We had a house at Mission Hills, which we had a house there for a number of years. So I was you know, working on my game there at Mission Hills during the Dinosaur, <laughs> during the Dinosaur, and um, you know, I played in the pro am a couple of days and you know, trying to get my my game into shape because you know coming from Ohio wasn't wasn't sharp, but I was I had a week to work on it, um, and uh, I, I I got to where I felt like my game was in pretty good shape, so. When I got back to Augusta and drove down Magnolia uh, Lane that first time, I, I just couldn't believe my eyes. I, it just was like a dream come true. It was something that I had looked forward to for so, so long. And, um, you know, earned my way into it. Kenny uh, was there every step of the way with me. You know, obviously his history around Augusta National is, is, is um, you know, quite honored. And I uh, played you know, my practice rounds that year. On, uh, he and I played nine holes on Sunday afternoon, and then I played uh, my three practice rounds on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday with Kenny, um, with Tom Weisskopf, and with Ed Sneed. Ed Sneed went on and uh, lost in the playoffs in the gallery that year. So uh, my, my first trip around there as an amateur was uh, just an incredible experience, just being part of the Dutch National, being part of the amateur field, uh, going to the amateur field, uh, remembering uh, Taking us aside and saying, you know, we haven't had, a, never had an amateur, amateur win this, this, you know, the Masters before, and you know how honored we were to have amateurs in the field. Um, it just made me feel special. And I went out and my first round pairing was with, uh, with Gary Player, who I knew, who uh, his son Wayne, and was playing a lot of amateur golf in the United States at that time, and I uh, got to know uh, Gary Player fairly well. Called him Mr. Player in the first two, and he said that laddie. Getty, my name is Getty. You must call me Getty. And I said, okay, I'll play Gary the rest of the way. Because he was the defending champion, and I was the amateur champion. So that was that pairing. And I played very well. I shot 71 around uh, my first uh, tournament around and uh, made the cut. And so I was, uh, it, it couldn't have been a better week. John, just a couple more before I let you go. And um, back in 2013, you were inducted into the Southern California Golf Hall of Fame, which looked like a fun but pretty emotional night for you from one of your high school teammates saying it was the honor of his life to introduce you to the, accept, uh, the acceptance speech you gave. Talk about what it was like being recognized as an all-time great in your home state. Oh, you're going to make me cheer up again. I mean, that was, that was really something. I, I wasn't expecting that. And then uh, Jamie, um, Jamie Mulligan uh, in introduced me um, I still thought I was okay I had my uh, my mom and dad were there I think my oldest daughter was there um, I don't think my son could have made it but uh, you know of course my wife was there and you know, Jamie in, in introduced me and I got up there and I thought I was all prepared and I wasn't prepared for something like that it was such an honor uh, to be inducted into the Central PGA Hall of Fame you know it just uh, you know i I cut my teeth in Southern California. I played, you know, the Southern Cal Junior Golf Association. We played in the summertime. We played, you know, three or four tournaments a week at, you know, uh, you know uh, parks and recreation courses, the public courses, country clubs, uh, all over Southern California. And, you know, to move on and then, you know, go, go to Ohio State and come back and, you know, live there for so long and win tournaments in California, um, it just was an emotional night, something I'll never forget. It, uh, you know, I think Kenny had passed away earlier that that, that uh, 
uh, that spring. Um, so there's a lot of emotions going through. Uh, I remember looking out uh, amongst the, the audience there and just going, man, I can't believe this, but I'm losing it right now. I don't know how to, I don't, didn't know how to gain control. And it's, uh, yeah, we got through it. And it's, uh, you know, I'll forever be appreciative to you know, the Southern Cal um, uh, Golf Association, Southern Cal PGA, and also uh, in Ohio as well. Um, you know, they, they recognized me a few years ago as well. And, um, you know, those are things that, you know, they weren't goals of mine, but, you know, through and dedication and sacrifice and commitment, uh, those things can happen. You know, those things happen to anybody out there. And uh, I'm just truly honored to be part of, of the Hall of Fame. John, before I let you go, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with you? What do you got coming up on your schedule and then uh, on your show as well? Yeah, so we um, I kind of backed down a little bit from Sirius. I'm still doing uh, shows, but I'm doing doing it with uh, Craig Can, who I was doing it with before, but not every single week because, you know, once my golf channel schedule starts cranking up, you know, there's a lot of days that I, I was going to be missing. Um, but I wanted to stay part of the channel. I wanted to stay part of uh, Craig's show. Um, so Wednesday nights from 7 to 9 Eastern, um, most, uh, I'm going to say probably at least twice a month or a couple, you know, maybe three times a month I'll be on with Craig. Um, and then uh, I'll be doing my golf channel uh, duties out on the PGA Tour Champions. I'll be doing uh, all of our PGA Tour Champions events for that. And 25 of those events. So we've only played two so far. So I feel like I've really been on a, a long, long winter and spring break. So I'm ready to get back to work. Um, but um, uh, I'll be doing uh, a lot of that. And uh, hopefully a U.S. Open. I'll be at Torrey Pines doing something. Uh, and also then for the Open Championship and the Senior Open uh, in July at uh, at uh, Royal St. George and also at Sunnydale. So yeah, that's that's pretty much my schedule. I won't be competing much. I still play a lot of golf, but not uh, not competing. And um, but uh, I enjoy it more than probably I did the last few years of my competitive career. But I love what I'm doing. I love talking about golf. I love spreading the word. Love helping people. And it's just like you and I are chatting golf. That's what I'm trying to do out there on the golf and on the video. Well, John, before I let you go, I want to reprise something from your. Uh, SCGA Hall of Fame speech, you said my mentor and close friend Ken Venturi once told his dad he was really good at golf. His dad replied, when you're good at something, tell people. But if you're really good at something, they'll tell you. And I want to thank the SCGA for telling me I was a really good player. Well, John, you were a really good player. You're also a really good broadcaster. And from uh, the times I've got to spend with you, I can tell you're a 10 times a better person. And I can't thank you enough for coming back and being a part of the show again tonight. Well, Chris, it's my pleasure, as always, and thank you for those kind words. I'll never forget those words from Kenny Venturi, and uh, I, I live by those. I live by those, and it, it's fun to be part of this great game. Um, there's not a better game on the planet, and uh, there's so, so many good people in this game, uh, including you there, Chris, and I appreciate you having me on anytime. John, take care. Stay safe out there, my friend. I hope we get the opportunity to catch up with you soon. Between now and then, uh, take care, and like I say, all the best to you and your family. My my pleasure. Thank you very much. See you, John. That's a great John Cook, folks. You want to talk about a heck of a player. You You want to say 11 PGA Tour wins, 10 more on the Champions Tour.
but then what he has meant to the game of golf, again, in a couple of Hall of Fames, which you can tell why he's in those Hall of Fames, right? It's not all about just what you do on the golf course. It's also what you do off of it. John was a, a great player on it. And like I say, from uh, the privilege I've had of getting to know him just a little bit uh, over the last uh, probably six or nine months, you can tell uh, what a great person he is and how much he gives back. And then uh, working with guys like Patrick Cantlay and then being on PGA Tour Radio and all of those, the golf channel, obviously, as well. Um, it's sort of that great package, right? Great player, great person. That's how you get in those Hall of Fame. That's how you get to know all of the people that John has gotten to know over the years and that sort of thing and all the opportunities that have, uh, that have come his way. Uh, super guy and really, really enjoyed myself. I hope, uh, like I say, I hope we get the privilege of going for number three here before too long. All right, we've got our next guest, Kevin Roman, hanging on the line. We're going to get to Kevin right on the other side of this real quick station break. If you're looking for a great place for your annual golf outing, a weekend golf getaway, or just a round of golf with your buddies, then Salt Creek Golf Retreat is just what you're looking for. Centrally located in Nashville, Indiana, just south of Indianapolis and west of Cincinnati, this challenging but fair 18-hole golf course appeals to all skill levels, and its scenic views of rolling hills and tree-lined fairways are sure to make golfing memories for years to come. Owned and operated by former Purdue and New York Giants fullback Randy Manier, Salt Creek Golf Retreat offers stay-and-play packages that include golf and a fully furnished one- or two-bedroom condo. After your round, be sure to stop by the 19th Hole Sports Bar and Restaurant for great food, fun, and drinks. Randy and his staff will treat you like family. For more information, log on to saltcreekgolf.com. That's saltcreekgolf.com. Or give them a call at 812-558-5944. Salt Creek Golf Retreat. Start making your golfing memories today. All right, we are back here on Next on the Tee, and now joining me is 2014 Georgia PGA Teacher of the Year, Kevin Roman. Let me remind you about Kevin's background. He was a golf pro at Cherokee Town and Country Club here in Atlanta for several years. Cherokee is one of the most prodigious courses here in Atlanta. Membership is by invitation only. He recently spent a few years as the Director of Instruction at Monterey Peninsula Country Club, which includes two beautiful golf courses, the Dunes and the Shore Course, right out there next to Pebble Beach. Besides being one of the top instructors in the country, Kevin is a great player. He's played in a couple of majors, including the 1993 U.S. Open at Baltus Roll and the 2009 PGA Championship at Hazeltine. Recently moved back east to New York. Rumor has it he might be coming to Georgia sometime later this summer, which I have my fingers crossed for. And besides all of that, he can knock down free throws like nobody's business. And I'm very honored he's back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Kevin, thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, Chris, how you doing? Thanks for having me. So, Kevin, I got, I got to call you out, my friend. You tweeted your frustration watching guys miss free throws, saying you hadn't even picked up a basketball in years, but you could go out there and knock down 21 out of 25. And then you went on to say they're sort of like making a one-foot putt, which leaves me saying if you can only make 84% of your one-footers, if we ever play, you're putting everything out, my friend. Oh, I'll be happy to put them all out for you, Chris. 
just not some of the other people. <laughs> yeah, um, I really loved what John had to talk about the processing golf, and that's to me what free throws were. Even when I was in high school, I didn't know any better, but I literally just followed the process of, you know, I took two dribbles, I looked at the back uh, where the net hooked into the hoop, and then I shot it. There was no hesitation ever in what I was trying to do. And, and really what John was talking about just before me is really the secret to me for golf, just following your process for 18 holes. It's hard to do, but the best uh, and the winners do that very, very well. And Kevin, you, uh, from a family perspective, you had a big weekend. You and your wife got your second vaccine shots. One of your students goes out and shoots five under 66. You bought a house. Man, congratulations, my friend. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's 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 super to be back on the East Coast, to be honest with you. We had our first family barbecue in 20 years, if you know, and that. And the first time when we got back here that I was able to meet my granddaughter. So it's been, it's been a great year. And Kevin, now that you're semi-retired, you're doing more FaceTime lessons with your students. Talk about the logistics of doing that. And do you lose anything by not being right there to see the ball flight? Does that impact? how you're able to teach when you're doing it over video? Well, especially when it's live on FaceTime, I'd say no, because I can still see what the ball's doing most of the flight. I may lose it for a little and ask the student, you know, what did that ball do at the end? Um, what I really found out, especially during the pandemic and stuff, is, is doing things with with other members is the ability to communicate more clearly, uh, the ability to get them to make a change without being able to physically hold on to them and move them through position. So it actually increased my ability to, to teach personally. And Kevin, speaking of ball flight, you recently posted that your new golf ball of preference is the Strixon Q-Star Tour Divide. Talk about that ball and in, in ways that can help us and why you switched. Oh, I think it's, it's pretty cool. Ping had it for a while, but now Strixon has one in, Really, the ability to see um, what spin on the ball does is great. But some people use the line for putting. Um, a great great golf ball to put down. You can line up the ball to where you want to start, and you can see that did my face you know, close at impact or was it a little bit open based on the rotation of being able to keep the, the colors in line. Um, I used to use a Callaway also when they had the Truvis, when you had to see it, when you wanted to spin it to see which way the ball's curving on chip shots and pitch shots. So the ability to see what, what the ball's kind of, how it's rotating is, is invaluable to me. And the ball is, I'm not sure why a lot of people didn't understand how good a ball like that is for feedback um, for what you're trying to, when you're making changes. So does it fly any different? I mean, you know, let's give the logistics of the ball, right? It's, it's got two different colors on it, right? Half the ball is one color, half the ball is the other color. So that's what you're talking mm -hmm. about, being able to see the spin on mm -hmm. it. But um, talk of it, is, it's just a regular golf ball, just like every other, you know, Q-Star golf ball from Strixon, right? It's just, a ha just the, uh, the painting of the ball is a little bit different, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. yeah. Yes, sir. Exactly. And, you know, when you get just a white ball or something, you really can't see how it's rotating. And when you hit a full shot, it's not going to be as um, prevalent to a lot of people because it kind of blurs. But when you get on the tee, 
and you want to use it for alignment off the tee ball, uh, alignment on the putts, short game, you can really see the spin on the ball. And even if someone didn't use it in competition, just to use it in practice is just it's such a valuable training aid. And did you switch to Strixon golf clubs as well? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, the, the new Strixon clubs were just uh, fantastic how they go through the turf. Um, I was a Strixon for probably 12 years before I moved back out west, and I always had my success. When I made the PGA in '09. I played Strixon in Cleveland clubs, and it's just great to get back with them. The new irons could possibly be the greatest irons I've ever seen. You know, I grew up with traditional Ben Hogan player, like a lot of players, and I like the clean, plain look, and that's what the Strixons have. They're very clean, and it's in front of you. Uh, the new sole, they use a VT sole that interacts with the turf. Uh, to me, that's the big key is how does the club go through the turf, and it really has everything that I wanted in the golf club. And I also saw, I think you posted, I can't remember if it was on your Instagram page or, or on Twitter, but you went a little old school too, right? Pulling out the old tailor-made irons that you had from the mid-80s. <laughs> what uh, what got you going retro? That's funny. Yeah, I just was getting the Strixons. And when I got back to New York, uh, I was down in my, I'm staying at a friend's house until we close on our house. And I went down in the cellar and he had some uh, tailor-made irons he told me to try out. They're from the mid-80s. And they were just, I took them out to practice with them. It's hilarious in the sense that they're a little bit flatter. Uh, modern clubs have become more upright, uh, which to me is a detriment to, to many players. Too many people are getting set into upright golf clubs, which when the handle is higher than it was at address, or even if I took an upright club and set the handle up higher, the club base is squared through a lot of twisting of the shaft. And, you know, a lot of people call that a flip, but it's just really a twist. And when you get a flatter golf club, you know, it's just easier to hit. Most people went away from the flatter club because it wants to, to lean or, or curve slightly to the right. And everybody thinks that most players slice. So, you know, a lot of the better players are getting hurt by some of the modern clubs being made so upright. Kevin, you recently posted on Twitter that your dream is to play in the Dick Sporting Goods Open, and you yeah. want to be paired with our friend Olin Brown and Peter Jacobson. Talk about why that's the dream. How how cool would that be? Um, you know, through my uh, mentorship with Jim Hardy and Chris O'Connell and stuff, I got to become – I spent a lot of time with Olin Brown and Peter Jacobson. Peter came out to Monterey and we did a clinic together for our members during the U.S. Open. It was probably one of the highlights of my life. Uh, so much fun. Peter's just a tremendous guy. Uh, Olin, uh, I can't say enough of what he's done for me. I mean, if, if I send them a text, I get a reply back like 30 seconds later. He's an incredible guy. And I played in the BC Open a few times back from being upstate from New York. The BC Open is like my U.S. Open. And, uh, so to be able to play in a BC Open and then go back and play in a Dick Sporting Goods Open at the same place with two guys that I have the, I think, the world of. I mean, they, I, I really do. It's just incredible how how great those two guys are. That would be the that would be just like the ultimate. I mean, I'm getting later in life, and 
you know, like I said, some are retired, enjoying enjoying doing nothing, uh, helping out a few friends here and there, and it would be just so much fun. It really would. You know, later, my parents and, you know, they're getting older. My friends, it'd be, it'd be pretty cool to be able to do that one time. Yeah, I, well, I hope you get the opportunity. Owen Brown is certainly one of my all-time favorites here on the show, so I uh, I can understand yeah. why that would be a part of the, the dream threesome. Kevin, yeah. I also saw Owen, on your Twitter I mean, page that – no, go ahead. No, go ahead. I just said Owen was just – I mean, I can't say enough for those two guys. It's just phenomenal, and, and I can't wait to – and I was talking to my friend to be back on the East Coast the next winter in Florida. I'm going to go down and play a little golf with Olin and his son, Olin Jr. I mean, two just, two just tremendous gentlemen. Kevin, okay, I also see on your Twitter page that you're not a fan of the term shallowing uh, when it's referencing mm-hmm. someone's golf swing. Why? It's just like, to me, there's so many, quote, uh, terms that are used uh, universally for everybody. And if I go to a, a driving range, and I, and I love to do this, I just love to sit on the back of the range, have a drink of, uh, you know, some soda or coffee or whatever, and watch people hit. I, I, I thoroughly entertain. I can sit there for hours. And literally 50% of the people are probably a little bit steep at impact. 50% are kind of shallow. Um, so they need different things. And too many of these terms that are being used nowadays are almost like universal. Everybody should do this. Well, obviously, if a guy's already got a shallow impact in ball flight, he should not be shallowing the shaft any more than he already was. So I think a lot of people get hurt with the uh, Internet lessons. For, for every piece of advice you read, it helps half the people and hurts half the people. And unfortunately, most people don't understand where they are, if they understood their impact in ball flight, there's a, somebody out there that would help everybody immediately. And Kevin, you're a, uh, you, as you mentioned just a moment ago, but you're a proponent of plain truth golf. Talk about what that is. Yeah. I mean, that was the greatest thing that ever happened to me for my golf career. Uh, Jim Hardy, um, Hall of Fame teacher, uh, inducted a few years ago. I was fortunate to be at his, all, his induction ceremony. Uh, Chris O'Connell, who works a lot, Matt Kuchar. Um, the plain truth group is basically understanding that, yeah, it's okay to swing more upright. It's okay to swing more around. And that's what most people think about. Um, most people also refer to that group or gym as, oh, you're a method teacher and, you know, you only prefer one way of swing. Like I said, when you go to a driving range, you're going to see people who see the game as more up and down and swing it more up and down like a Ferris wheel and guys who see it as a more side-on game. Uh, baseball player, for example, they tend to swing it around them. Each of those two categories, and that's how Jim terms it, is categories, um, they do different things. So understanding those differences that they do makes it easier to improve the person immediately, almost foolproof. Um, but the big secret is when you go to his certification classes, excuse me, that he holds for instructors, little little time is spent on saying, okay, are you one plane, two plane, or anything like that? It's what is your ball flight, what is your impact, and how do you fix it immediately? And he did a seminar back in, I think it was the 1990 PGA uh, teaching seminar about he calls the terms pluses and minuses. 
And what he means by that is anything that causes more of a chop in a golf swing is termed a plus. Anything that's termed a minus, meaning more horizontal, creates a sweepy angle. So obviously if someone's too up and down at impact and chopping down on the ball, you got to give them something that makes the club come in more level to the ground and vice versa. So to me, I had a, uh, another professional talk to me the other day and we were talking about golf swings and he says, people have to get worse before they get better. And, you know, it, it still blows my mind that here we are in 2021 and people still believe that they have to get worse before they get better. You know, I mean, and I said to him, I said, well, if you had one car for your family and you had to get to work tomorrow to make a living, would you take your car to the garage? And the guy says, well, I'll have it ready for you in a year. Well, (laughs) if that was the case, I'd find another mechanic. (laughs) So we're about instantaneous improvement, not perfection, getting better right away. And you keep building on that. So if you don't hit it better right away, to me, I think you're working on the wrong things. I didn't say you're going to own it, but it should be better pretty quickly. Kevin, one of the things that was drilled into my head as a young golfer was to swing easy and let the club do the work. Now players mm-hmm. are trying to you know, swing as hard as they can. Guys are coming out of their shoes, you know, like, <laughs> like Bryson and Justin Thomas and you know, I had Hal Sutton on the show a couple of weeks ago, and even he said, if I had to do it all over again, I'd learn to hit it far first and straight second. How do you teach your students? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think sometimes when you're making a change and what you're trying to do is develop a different motor pattern. Say, for instance, I want the club to release around me more. I may have to slow it down for just a few minutes to get the feel and the understanding of it. And that feel um, can change day to day. That's why even though I may say the same thing hundreds of ways for certain people, I'm saying the same thing, just trying to get them to get a feel or a picture in their mind that allows them to do that. Then once you get a kind of a feel, I 100% agree that uh, distance is a big key. Uh, I feel very sorry for the ladies I mean, you watch a lot of ladies play these golf courses now, and, you know, as they age, it takes them three, four, five shots to reach a green in regulation. I mean, to me, that would be tiring or, or frustrating. So distance is such a key to golf that it, it was kind of put on the back shelf for a long time probably. Um, but if you look at what made Jack Nicklaus so great, he was one of the longest, if not the longest, of his era. What made, you know, even Tom Watson, he was a long hitter. And you're going to see that over time. Generally speaking, while the short hitter had success, the long hitters usually had the, the most chance to be off on their game. Um, if, if, if it takes you – a long hitter has to be close to – to their game or not even they can play with their B game and still make birdies because they can birdie to par five. Whereas the shorter hitter has to be more precise in order to win and really on their game. So distance is a key. And I, I agree with that. I want people to hit it as hard as they can. And well, then we'll learn to straighten it out. 
Kevin, as the 2014 Georgia PGA Teacher of the Year, I, I hope that award came with an opportunity to play at Augusta National. Did it? Uh, actually, uh, I was very fortunate that uh, I have a lot, you know, we've had a lot of members at all our clubs, and, and I played there a couple years ago, and we played in December. And what's interesting is how much the course changes from December to, you know, Masters Week. When I played in December, it was probably low 40s uh, at the high, and the wind was blowing probably 25 miles an hour. And, wow. of course, I went right to the members' tees. I was ready to play the course and have some fun, and they called me out and made me go back to the championship tees <laughs> where I hit driver three with <laughs> I hit driver three with like every hole. I'm like, holy smokes. <laughs> like, I don't know if I could do this every day. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just in, what was, in, in what was it like trying to putt like, those greens in that you know I, I was fortunate when I grew up in upstate New York and now back here I went to my old course that I grew up on the slope on the greens that we have here are so severe that those greens fit into what I was used to as a kid so the greens didn't bother me um, it was just the length I mean it's 7400 yards at 40 degrees and wind blowing it's just like this is talk about needing distance. I didn't have it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so looking ahead to the tournament next week, who do you like? Who do you think is going to be on top of the leaderboard on Sunday? That is a great question. Um, the good, the the good part about the Masters is if if you look at it, you, they got the smallest fields of all the majors. So technically, it should be the easiest to win, but you know it's the most prestigious of all the majors. So everybody wants to win and that inner pressure is hard. Um, you know, you're going to get probably 10, 10 guys that really have a chance. You know, I think Bryson, everybody thought he was going to win it because he could overpower the golf course. That golf course, as much as length helps, you need to really position the golf ball around the golf course. Um, I think Jordan Spieth is kind of rounding in the shape. I mean, it's, I, I have a feeling because when his imagination around the greens, even when he's off, I think his ability to recover and make putts is going to be tough to beat. Kevin, before I let you go, let our listeners know, how can they get a video lesson from you, and then how can they follow you and stay up to date with what you're doing over social media? Awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks. I'm Kevin Roman Golf. It's on both Twitter and uh, Instagram. You know, I just have a Kevin Roman on uh, Utah, no, excuse me, face, face, uh, what am I saying? I don't even Facebook. know what I'm saying here. Facebook, <laughs> yeah. I'm doing a blank there. It's late at night here. I know. I've been up early. Um, and I've got, I get videos from all people. I got some people from uh, Michigan replying in. I just gave two video lessons to old students out in uh, California the other day. But if somebody's interested, my email is easykroman at pga.com. Um, someone has a question, like I said, I'm happy to answer. Uh, people have been great to me in my life, and I'm fortunate to be in the position I am because of such great people. So if there's anything I can do to help somebody enjoy this game more, I'm more than happy to do so. That's awesome. Kevin, thank you so much for coming back and being a part of the show. I always enjoy spending time with you, my friend. You're fantastic. Oh, I appreciate it. You're the best, Chris. I'm, and like I said, I listen all the time, and your guests are top-notch. I don't know how I got uh, even to in, be involved with you, but that's fantastic. 
<laughs> You're great. And that's and that's what I love about you, my friend. I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your day to come back and be a part of the show. I hope we get the opportunity to do it again sometime. And in between now and then, uh, you know, good luck with the new house and everything. And uh, I hope uh, everything goes great with the family. No, it's going to be great. And, and, and I'll look you up when I get to Georgia because I'm sure I'll be there a hand, at least a handful of times this year. So we'll get together and play, hopefully. Oh, I hope that. I hope that makes. Uh, I hope that comes true. Thank you for doing that. Yeah, no, look we'll forward to that happen. day, Kevin. All we'll right. make it happen. You're the best, my friend. Stay safe. Thank you for your time. See you, Kevin. That's a great Kevin Roman, uh, folks. Again, you know, Kevin Roman Golf is where you can find him on social media. 2014 Georgia PGA Teacher of the Year and a guy that went out and and uh, was the director of instruction at the Monterey Peninsula Country Club and and uh, now back on the East Coast. And if he's going to be in Georgia a handful of times, I hope I get to see him a handful of times. Great instructor, great guy, and I look forward to having him back on the show again real soon. All right, my friends, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Tee. My sincere thanks to our director of instruction, Tom Patrick, PGA Tour legend John Cook, and one of the top instructors in the game, Kevin Roman, for joining me tonight. Please check out our website, nextonthetee.net, to keep up to date with what our guest schedule looks like. And speaking of that, getting ready to join me next week, it says uh, Kevin talked about Owen Brown. Well, guess what? Our good friend Owen Brown will be back with us. Another great friend and the host of Backspin Golf, Matthew Lawrence, will be here, as will the great Ben Wright. Folks, you can stream this show as a podcast on a number of great sites and apps like podcast.co. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audioboom, Player.fm, and Radio.com as well. So if you've got a favorite podcasting site, just do a search for Next on the T. I'm pretty sure we're going to be on it. And, folks, if you love this show, I, I would really appreciate a favor. Go online to PodcastMagazine.com and vote for the show and their Hot 50 list. All you have to do is click on, uh, you, when you go to PodcastMagazine.com, you'll see a, an icon at the top. Click on Hot 50. And then you're going to get a drop-down list, and you're going to be able to click then on Hot 50 Voting. Click on that and just type in the name of the show next on the T, and then uh, they ask you for the host, and that's me, Chris Mascaro. I'd really appreciate your support. Folks, as always, thank you again for choosing to listen to this show tonight. We know you've got a lot of great golf shows out there and content that, uh, that you can choose to listen to. We really appreciate the fact that you continue to make next on the T part of it. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.